The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, number 183 for December 29th, which, John, I think is the Festivus of New Year's Day, right? Because it's the day before the day before New Year's. 2008. <laughs> And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. How are you, John? Good. You uh, you had a little uh, little pause there that, that was not due to technical difficulties. I guess you're you're straddling the uh, the years here. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The space time continuum has a rift in it, and and I was I was attempting to navigate that with ready a, to take the big leap. That's right. <laughs> that's pilot. Well, I'm putting there. I'm doing like the you know I'm putting together our, our schedule to kind of give us some semblance of a organization, and and I had trouble typing 2009. So. I'm in the same boat. Well, truth be told, it it was neither technical nor a uh, a calendar related issue. It was it was more just getting my mouse to the point where after I said eight, I could click the the, the fire off the song for the intro, but I didn't want anybody to know. So that's why I I sort of just dragged it out. I wanted it to be all smooth. Anyway, uh, in in addition to having the year change upon us here, and I, I don't think we set the clocks back this time, John. I think we just leave them alone, right? Uh, it, we have, uh, well, I do believe they're adding a quarter second. Oh, they are. It's a whole second. I thought, or is it a whole second? Uh, I thought I it was a quarter so. second. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought they had quarter. Second. Oh, okay. Or, or I guess every four. Yeah. Okay. A leap second. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the good news is if your watch runs fast, you don't have to do anything. You're totally golden. But we have an event next week. We got to get on airplanes shortly after the, uh, the ball drops there, John. In fact, the, uh, I'm leaving on Friday. I hope we're supposed to get snow, but we're all heading out to uh, Macworld Expo next week, right, John? Absolutely. Oh boy! And so, so we have some uh, some tips both from us, uh, from the three of us. In fact, uh, both John and I have have created some tips. And Pilot Pete, being a, a, a veteran of air travel, has some some <laughs> air travel tips for us and for you. We have some tips from listeners, uh, and then of course we have all sorts of questions of yours and tips of yours to share uh, some stuff following up from last week's show and some questions that are all brand new and, and all that good stuff. I think we, uh, we need to get right into these tips here, right, John? Don't you think? Let's, let's dive in. Let's go. go. Robert has some to share. Hey, it's Robert from New Jersey again, and I'm going to wink, wink, say no more one more time. Um, tips for Macworld. Um, the obvious is uh, comfy shoes, and I think I gave this tip last year, which was oatmeal. Um, you stick oatmeal in your bag. Uh, if you're real busy and you get hungry, all you need is a little hot water and a spoon, and you've got a quick little meal. So instant oatmeal packs in your bag, a definite. Um, I don't eat them, but I know uh, here's another little quick meal would be an energy bar. Uh, I don't like them because they're not as healthy for you. They're usually very fattening and loaded with sugar and all kinds of junk. So um, if I think of any others, I'll let you know. Bye. Excellent. Thank you, Robert. Those are all fantastic tips. Oatmeal is, and I think I said this last year after Robert shared it last year, but oatmeal is one of my travel staples. I always, always bring some. And if you've got a coffee maker in the hotel room, even better, you can actually actually cook the oats and, and they don't have to, you know, sort of cook inside your, uh, in your belly. Yeah. What I think maybe better is, uh, so I, I agree with him. Energy bars are probably like sugar. And I think actually a lot of them have a lot of alcohol in them to, uh, provide energy, but, um, really? 
but I think there are uh, another class protein bars, which I think may be a little better for you and that, you know, it's filling you up. There you go. Um, so, right. uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, to keep it, because I've noticed, but when I travel as, uh, you know, as we're all getting older, but, uh, you know, if I'm not fed at the right time, I start getting real cranky and real run down. So <laughs> it happens. I, I, I know, uh, I know I get that way too. All right. David from, uh, from maxsparky.com writes, he said, Hey, John and Dave, while this may seem obvious, one bit of advice for Macworld attendees is to say hello and make friends with the person next to you. Whether you're taking a class, prowling the exhibit hall, or just eating a sandwich, the people at Macworld are really nice, and you may learn a thing or two. In fact, saying hello to a stranger is exactly how I met John at last year's Cirque du Mac. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you might just meet John Braun. The John F. Braun. Not not some imposter, but if you turn and say hi, it could be John. I don't have to deal with that problem yet, <laughs> nor do I hope I ever have to. Uh, okay, so some of my tips. Uh, one of my one of my favorite ones for any sort of travel and trade shows, especially, uh, is drink plenty of water. You will not realize, or likely may not realize, how much water your your body is just kind of burning through you're up you're out you're traveling it's dry uh that trade show air is just kind of going to suck the water out of you so you may not even be sweating or realizing you're sweating but that water leaves especially if you're standing a lot and walking around so drink lots and lots of water the last thing you want to do is notice that you're thirsty better to uh to stay ahead of it so drink plenty of water as a follow up to Robert's uh, tip and and John's tip eat breakfast every day that that's another one of my favorite ones it it really kind of you know, keeps you from getting burned out. Bring an umbrella, even though the show is mostly in the North and South halls this year, which is a good thing, especially compared to last year. There are still many, many things, all the classes and everything are over in West hall, but uh, which means you have to go outside to get there, but you also have to go outside to get to and from your hotel and, and all of that stuff. So, so bring an umbrella at this time of year, you never know what you're going to run into there. It's a little late for for this piece of advice, but book rooms and flights as early as you can. And it's January. So, you know, as a rule, I try not to fly through Chicago or Denver if I can avoid it. There are lots of great sessions at Macworld Expo. I know a lot of you go only for the exhibits and the you know parties and all that stuff. But there are some fantastic sessions happening some of them, they've even moved a lot of them, actually, to the show floor. So you can really get a taste of, of what all that conference is about. Go check those out. I know we talked about some of those with Paul Kent in the uh, podcast I did with him earlier this month. But uh, but that the sessions are fantastic. And lastly, uh, if you have an iPhone or an iPod Touch, go to uh, go to the App Store and download iMacWorld. Uh, you can <coughs> find it at, at tinyearl.com slash iMacWorld. They'll get you there. Um Fantastic little app. They're actually updating it with maps and everything. So you can find where you, where you want to be on the show floor and uh, they can get messages out to you. Great little handy thing. So those are, uh, those are my tips, John. Okay. Um, some of these will follow up on yours and some are, are new. Um, avoid diuretics such as coffee or alcohol, uh, or if you do consume those. And basically those are chemicals that make you, uh, you know, get rid of water quicker than uh, your body really should. Um, so try to avoid those or offset with drinking water. Maybe bring your own bottle instead of buying bottled water because bottled water, kind of all the energy it takes. Uh, I don't know. I think the San Francisco water probably won't kill you. So <laughs> just bring your own bottle and refill it. That, that'll, that, that's a nice thing to do. Um, put your phone on vibrate, okay? 
How many times do we have to tell you people? <laughs> I'm just thinking in the keynote, there's going to be some... Dave's putting uh, his phone on vibrate as we speak, John. I'm serious. There's always someone in the keynote or the conference hall that, uh, that has their phone. And, and sometimes, it is funny sometimes because it's a really embarrassing dial tone. You know, some you know hardcore rap tune for someone that doesn't look hardcore rap. But anyways, moving on. Um, bring a, a portable wireless access point like uh, Airport Express. Um, oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about this a little later. Uh, we have a question. So I'll just say bringing one of those may be helpful if the either the hotel doesn't offer wireless or you um, don't want to use theirs or they have a wired connection and you'd like to extend it and not be stuck at your desk. Um, don't party like a teenager unless you are one or in your uh, early 20s. Just uh, take it easy. Don't try to go to every party. Um, I tried to do that once and it, it wasn't pretty, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, I know you've got more, but I'm going to follow on to that one, John, if you don't mind two years ago, two years ago, three years ago, I had Bell's palsy, uh, early, I got Bell's palsy early December. And, uh, of course, you know, it, it, like any illness like that stress is, is a major contributor to, uh, it coming on and of course it staying around too long. So I knew I had to go to Macworld Expo, but I also knew I didn't want to totally tax out my body. So I made a curfew for myself of 10 p.m. every night. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the night of Cirque du Mac, uh, our party, that I simply could not honor that curfew. Right. So so that was fine. But every other night I made a curfew at 10 p.m. 10 p.m. I did everything I needed to that week. I even made it to the parties I wanted to make it to. And yet was still in my room at 10 p.m. asleep by, you know, 11, 1130 um, after puttering around and just winding down for the day. And I felt great after I came back from that Macworld. So it is possible to do a lot. Let me tell you, oh, sure. I, I do a ton that week and I was still able to be back in my room by 10 p.m. So, it, you know, you can do everything and anything at Macworld and still not totally kill yourself. So uh, sorry, sorry for the interruption, but I no, no, that, that, that's there. a good one. Actually makes me think of one is, you know, try to, uh, again, I'll be doing this, you know, in part for the, for the group here, but um, go through the exhibitor list, kind of get a plan of who you want to see and when you want to see them list the events there. There are a lot of resources on the uh, uh, Macworld Expo site to help you know what is happening when um, just, you know, try to do a little organization. So you see everything you want um, and, and don't miss out on anything. Um, I'll skip that. Um, remember to travel light. Don't grab everything that people try to hand you, though. I think a lot of vendors tend to not do this as much anymore because you can get it online. You don't need a disc or a, a big catalog or stuff like that. Um, you know, of course, swag like, uh, you know, little bouncing balls and T-shirts and stuff like that you may need. But uh, again, try to travel light because you got to put it somewhere if you're going to be flying back. You don't want to pay more for your uh, suitcase. Um, I found this, David, maybe this is more for press people, but it could be for anybody. Don't be rude, but don't be afraid to break away from a vendor that turns it into a monologue. I've, I've had this happen sometimes, and it's always kind of weird to detach yourself where you just feel obligated to listen to a five minute spiel. And you're like, you know, I really uh, I got I got to run. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've had it happen. It, it just gets, it's weird. Yeah. Um, I head to the back of the hall. I would the big guys. When I first come in, I'll rush right by Apple. I'll rush by all the people that have the big booths and probably paid big bucks. Because I want to find the little gems, the little interesting things. And, for example, a lot of them that got our editor's choice last year were the people that I and others uh, on the staff found in the back of the place on the little things where they maybe have just a table. Um, so, you know, try that. Special interest areas, they always have a different mix of them every year. Uh, trying to find a hotel where, where maybe Macworld staff or vendors or something are staying because there may be something going on that you may stumble across. Um, bring extra batteries for everything. Computer, camera. Um, I have two batteries for my computer, three for my camera, and I have run out 
uh, of camera sometimes in the middle of the day, especially with flash pictures um, or a small camera that doesn't take full-size batteries. Get another or a bigger memory card. You may run out of space. You know, take way more pictures than you need. Um, you, you may find out you're all out. Because, again, I've had that happen sometimes. Um, fill out the feedback forms for the sessions that you go to, like Dave will speak about one uh, shortly that he's doing or ours. If there are feedback forms, it helps both you as the attendee and uh, the presenters as well. And what else? Oh, if you're going to be gone for a week, hold your mail. You can do that online with a lot of post offices. Every post office, I think. Yep. At least uh, in the U.S. USPS. I've seen some where you can't do it online. You may have to fill out a form. But um, I had it at one point where mine did not, and then it wow. did. So, uh, But, but huh. y- you can also get a form and put it in your mailbox and request it, or you can go to the post office. Because, uh, yeah, a week's worth of mail could build up. Yeah. yeah. Newspapers and all that, too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they, anything that the, the person, yeah, they, they basically hold it for you in, in a tray or, or uh, so, whatever. But here, come and pick it up. Here's something interesting. You cannot... You know, you can get the Postal Service to hold your mail. You cannot. There is no way to notify UPS and FedEx that you are going to be gone and you want them to re-deliver packages after you get back. If you're going to be gone for a week, if a package is to arrive on Monday and you're not back until Friday, you will not see that package. It will make it back to the sender as undeliverable. And and I tried I even and I also tried and I know I ranted about this here, tried to get them to forward anything that was sent to me at my old address to my new address. No, no way. Can't do it. Yada, yada, yada. So, no, you can't. But you can make arrangements with the driver. If, if you know your drivers well enough, you can say, look, I'm going to be away. Uh, put the stuff here. I've got somebody checking the house, you know, put them there. But but uh, mm-hmm. that's what you got to do. So there you go. Okay. And then Pete, did Pete have some flying tips? I think or, Pete's got some flying I, tips. I for us. I've got one or two. I flew once. <laughs> yeah, well, not once. this month. Yeah, no, the, hey, now, <laughs> little seniority is a beautiful thing. I have. Yeah, you know what, off. Pete? I'm I'm going to interrupt you there because it seems like I'm interrupting everybody yeah, tonight. So I might yeah, as well just roll nice. with it. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to tell everybody about our first sponsor here, Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. Uh, the A2 speakers are what I'm speaking about uh, this evening here because uh, we got a great comment from Roger, uh, a listener here, about the the A2s. Now, the A2s are truly desktop speakers. They're, they're two separate speakers. Uh, inside each cabinet is a tweeter and a woofer and then like a little bass uh, resonance chamber. And these things sound huge. They sound great. And they are engineered for digital music. They, they have EQ'd them uh, internally. They built the cabinets. They picked the right speakers. And, and they've built them to really bring out uh, all the sound that's, that's there inside an MP3 file. And, and Roger writes, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for the wonderful pair of Audio Engine A2 speakers that are sitting on my desk. A note from John and I, we did not send Roger a two speakers. He bought them with his own money Uh, for the first time since I packed away the component system and digitized my music. It actually sounds good in my office. Thank you for turning me on to this excellent product. La Via Strangiato has has mm. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. La Via Strangiato hasn't sounded this rich and full in ages. Keep up the great podcast. Sincerely, Roger. And uh, always uh, wonderful to encounter uh, a fellow Rush fan. So uh, Audio Engine USA, the A2 speakers are $199. You can get them in black or in white. And uh, they'll plug right into your Mac or into your stereo system or into your iPod directly. Uh, very flexible, just a standard audio input. AudioEngineUSA.com. And with that, 
Now, Pete, uninterrupted pilot Pete, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, for flying, uh, if you're going to be uh, particularly transcontinental, if you're going from the East Coast, uh, you're going to be on a longer flight. I would bring a light snack or a sandwich, or even if you just buy one right at the airport shop, get a Subway or something along those lines. Uh, most flights don't offer chow on the airplanes anymore, particularly in coach, sometimes in first class. But And some of them offer it for sale. Uh, and the flight attendants do know the trick about, you know, you got change for 100, they're going to have change for you, or they're not going to serve you. They're not going to get back to you a lot of times now. I've seen that happen a lot, and over the last couple of years, less and less effective. Bring a good book or a Mac magazine to read on the way, something to entertain yourself. Maybe uh, maybe even a podcast to listen absolutely. to? Absolutely. Or a DVD? Yeah, no, a podcast, you're right. Yeah, good podcast. <laughs> now, for, now for the good tricks on the airplane. Uh, where do you want to sit? Well, if you're in steerage or coach, you want to get onto the bulkhead seats if you can. Uh, that's going to give you a little more leg room. And the, uh, what'd you call them? The jerkwad or something? What was that? The, uh, on one of the tweet, it was one of the tweets. The jackhole in front of me or behind me doesn't realize that, you know, my my back doesn't conform to his knee or something along oh, those yeah. lines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The guy yeah, kept kneeing right. you in the back. You Extra know? lumbar support there, yeah. free of charge. But the guy in front of you won't uh, send his seat back rapidly, uh, thus crushing your MacBook Pro screen and sending it into hundreds of pieces. And if you do have seats in front of you, the, the next best seats you want to get are the exit row. Preferably, if there's two yeah. exit rows, you want to get the second one. The first exit row generally won't recline in order to make way for people exiting the airplane in a hurry. And if there's and you got to figure out where the tables, where the tray tables are for those two. I found that an interesting <laughs> challenge. I'm like, uh, they're in the side. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you see smoke when they're starting the engines in cold weather, don't jump out of the airplane unless somebody tells you they're on fire. That happened recently. Could be Delta steam, Airlines maybe. Had, a, had an uncommanded uh, evacuation right there at the ramp. And it, was, wow. it wasn't pretty. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. someone opened the door? Yeah, I jumped right out. And down, yeah, there were people standing on the ramp, but that's a, another long story. We'll go into another day. Uh, they saw smoke while the engine was starting, and it's just uh, condensed uh, jet fuel that goes out that way early in particularly cold weather. Anyway, but uh, but I digress. Um, the uh, so you're going to get more leg room in the second row uh, exit seats and and still get the ability uh, to recline. Oh, let me back up before you get on the airplane. When you're dealing with the TSA, uh, bring patience and a sense of humor. That will serve you well. Um, and and realize, aside from a select few, that the TSA people and, and believe me, I, I've had steam coming out of my ears dealing with these folks. But the vast majority of them aren't being jerks because they enjoy being jerks. They've got rules they've got to follow, and they are being watched very closely. Their supervisors are all over them, and if they see them letting somebody go by, they're going to hear about it, and it's going to be in written performance reports and all kinds of nasty stuff. So they're generally speaking, they're just doing their job. They're not trying to to be jerks because they can be, most of them. There's always the 10%, I guess, but <laughs> no, it, it, they are, they're trying. It isn't all security theater in spite of, in spite of it feeling that way so many times. Um, when you get to the airplane, the gate agent is your best friend or your worst enemy. Your gate agent is, well, the airplane's at the gate. He is the judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, I told Dave earlier about a story, a guy actually sitting in 
1B in first class, and I was sitting across from him. And the gate agent got the airplane. He's all ready to close the door. And he said to the guy in 1B, he goes, you know, I'm sorry about the misunderstanding back there, but, you know, things are all squared away. You got your seat now and enjoy your trip. And the guy, instead of going, oh, thanks for the apology, basically said, you should apologize to me. You were being a jerk. And I don't think he used quite as nice a word. You were being a jerk back there. The gate agent looked at him and went, okay, that's it. You're off the airplane. And the guy's jaw dropped a little bit. And he's like, well, I'm not getting off. He basically said, I'm either calling the cops and they're going to haul you off or you can get off on your own. The choice is yours, sir. And the guy got up and left the airplane. They do have that kind of power. That being said, if you're in coach and they've got seats and they happen to remember you because you're nice to them, they, they, if they're in a good mood, they may be able to help you. But legally, you're supposed to observe any instruction given by any of the flight crew. Absolutely. That's a federal law. Which is one of my other points. You know, when the flight attendant comes around and says, uh, turn off the cell phone, it's going to interfere with the avionics. 98% of them don't know the technology works or doesn't work or any of that. They've been told that. They know it's a rule they have to follow and, and enforce. And they have to enforce it evenly or they lose complete control. They can't judiciously go, uh, well, you look like you know what you're doing. It's okay for you to have your cell phone on and, and have somebody else in the seat behind Chewing them out. Oh, you got to turn your cell phone off. It just it doesn't work. Now I so, have heard of cases. Uh, uh, it's a little tangent, but I think it's relevant. Yeah. Where where some devices can go into airplane mode, where the RF is off. Like I believe the iPhone will do this. Yes, absolutely correct. Now, yeah, but still, I, I've heard of cases and take off and landing. Right. Yes, but I've heard of cases where some people uh, some people did not understand that you could disable the rf part and uh yeah that, uh, you know the uh, discussion dealing... ensues in which case it's not that important turn it, your device off it isn't yeah turn it off <laughs> you've got to follow them they're they're just doing their job again you know th- it's probably not the onboard flight leader they're they're going to be more experienced but the onboard flight leader is watching and if somebody tells you to do something and they and they don't present it right or if they don't tell you to turn it off when they probably should the onboard flight leader is going to notice, and it's going to make it to their personnel file eventually. So they're just doing their job. They're just like you're doing your job, and you don't want grief from people. They're the same way, you know. And you're kind of all on the same team. You all want to, they just want to get there, and get to their layover, and have fun, just like you want to get to MacWorld and have fun. So uh, let's see. Uh, oh, here's the other one I was thinking about. Here's how to get some freebies on the airplane. All right. And and if you don't wind up getting freebies, you've still done a good deed and filled up your karma bank and somewhere along the line, maybe you will. You see the gal going down the aisle and she's hauling a stroller and a, and a tow behind suitcase and a screaming three-year-old and a baby in her arms. She's having a bad day. If you can give her a hand, do it. Not a big deal. She's obviously inexperienced and you're going to see other inexperienced flyers. If you can give them a hand, get the airplane loaded a little quicker. The crew's going to notice that. And when it comes time to uh, hand out drinks, if, if you're going to ignore John and Dave's device and partake in the alcohol, you may get a freebie there. So, <laughs> um, And, and if, if they don't notice and you don't get the freebie, you've filled up your karma bank for another day, I guess. And my last one, and, and this I've done this a lot, and I can't think of a single time where I've actually taken cash out of my pocket to make this happen. But I always offer, when I see servicemen in uniform on the airplane, I offer to buy them a drink with the flight attendant. See, anything they want to drink, uh, it's coming out of my pocket. Offer it to them. I'm more than happy to pay for it. Every time I've done it, I've had the flight attendant say, no, I'll I'll take care of that. I'll I'll comp them. 
and uh, thanks for offering. And since you offered, I'll comp you too. So it's <laughs> it's a way to get a freebie. Or fill up the karma bank. Or fill up the karma bank, go. right, if they don't. so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank so, you, Pete. And safe and fun travels. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. It, you know, I, and you make a good point. If you go out of your way to help someone, it actually can make your experience better. Because, Absolutely. Because you, you've done something that hopefully makes somebody else feel good, and, and that'll make you feel good, and now you've got something that you can kind of coast on. If, if that buys you 30 minutes of happiness, man, that's that's a lot. On a three-hour flight. Absolutely. <laughs> so. You're being purely selfish. If you help someone else load their stuff in the overhead bin while they're trying to sit down and settle themselves, everybody gets on the plane quicker and can leave. That's right. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Beautiful. Thing. Practical That's point right. of view. Okay. All right. So once you get there, there are a couple of places that you can come and see John and I. So uh, we are doing two podcasts live on the show floor. We'll probably do three podcasts there. We'll probably do one Either Sunday night or Monday night. When do you get in, John? Sunday night? Is that right? Sunday night. Uh, okay. Five or six. All right. Uh, I think. Well, we'll see how it goes. We, we, we may do kind of our, our typical, you know, 20 minute uh, pre-show. We're here and we're ready and, you know, we're going to rock and all that good stuff. Uh, but then on Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, so local time at Macworld Expo, in the North Hall, booth 3036 is the Macworld Expo podcast stage. And uh, and there's a stage set up where John and I will be. There's chairs there. Uh, there's a PA system. And, of course, we'll record it and release it for all of you that aren't there. Uh, but we're doing a Mac Geek Gab Live. This is open to anyone with an exhibit bed, which with an exhibit bed, which essentially is everyone. If you can get on the show floor, you can come to this. No wow. problem. And we'd love to see you there. Uh, the focus of that show is going to be us talking about what uh, what we thought of the keynote. We will take questions live. So uh, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how we do. We don't have the benefit of prepping your question before we answer it. But, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll we'll do what we can and, uh, and and have some fun with it. So total some, seat of our pants, total seat of our pants. That's right. The worst that could happen is that is that it's a total, total washout. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. How much worse <laughs> could it get than that? <laughs> uh, we will be doing that again on Thursday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. Same place. Uh, same format, except instead of talking about the keynote, we're going to be talking about the things that we've seen on the show floor, the cool stuff that's out there and uh, anything else cool that we've seen at the expo. Sort of our uh, wrap up of the show on Thursday, Thursday morning at 11 a.m. I'm doing my running your Mac lean, clean and mean session. Now, this requires a user's conference badge. Uh, I think there's or or more if I think if you have a pro t- pro tools session badge or whatever, the, the, the all of that will get you in. I think you've got to check your badge to to see what it gets you into. But this is a conference session only uh, in room 2001. That's over across the street in the West Hall, which is where all the big conferences are. Um, so that's 11 a.m. Pacific on Thursday. One thing, uh, one web resource I wanted to throw out there is the Hess party list. And we'll put a list. Put a link to this in the show notes. Eileen Hoffman maintains uh, the list of all the events that are happening at Mass Macworld Expo. It started out as just a list of all the parties, and it still includes that. But it also includes things like our live appearances and book signings and all sorts of stuff like that. So if you're coming out 
check this list. This is the place to look to find out what it is you are uh, missing or what it is you might be able to do while you're there. It'll tell you if it's invitation only or how you need to get in or all that stuff. She's very, very comprehensive with, with it. She does this for free. Uh, she does have sponsors. Uh, I've been told that uh, or she told me today that uh, she is accepting, uh, I think, a $10 donation. So, uh, you know, do do with that information what you may. But uh, but the Hess list is a is a great resource. So I I, I we we get nothing for saying that uh, other than knowing that you'll be informed. And also we've used it for years, so it's nice to kind of spread it all around. So that's it. Are we ready to move on to uh, to Catherine's question there, John? Absolutely. All right. All right. Were you were you, were you tweet Were you sending me the Hess list while I was talking about it there, John? Well, I can mention here. So if you Google for uh, you know Hess uh, party list, I think that will. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Hess. Yeah. Um, H-E-S-S. Is, uh, um, or the URL for it is uh, com slash partylist.shtml, which you'll find. That's right. So um, between those two things, you'll definitely find the list. Um, yeah, it's probably the most comprehensive list of, of what's going on that, that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. All right. So we, we've burned up quite a bit of time here, which is a good thing. I wouldn't say we've burned it up. We've gotten through that much. Uh it's time to slowly ease our way into the listener supported version of the show here. And uh, we have a question about Macworld Expo. And Catherine writes, I just made my reservations for my hotel in San Francisco. My hotel has free wireless access. And I was wondering about wireless safety. I know you've covered this this subject before, but with so many people heading to hotels for maybe their first Macworld, I thought it might be a good idea to cover surfing hotels wireless safely or just remind listeners and point them in the direction of past podcasts where you have previously covered this topic. So here we are for you, Catherine, and for anyone else. And John, you sort of started down this path with your Macworld tips. So I think we'll uh, we'll go right to you. Okay, so I'll start off. Um, I'm, I'm going to take maybe a different direction than we have in the past talking about this. And I would say if you have a choice, because I think in a lot of hotels you may, of wired versus wireless, with a caveat that we'll go into, I would choose a wired connection. Yes. Because I think it is relatively more secure if it's connected to a switch and and the, the router or the switch is configured properly and it's not blasting your traffic all over the place, which wireless, on the other hand, unsecured wireless tends to let everybody see uh, lots of things they probably shouldn't. Okay. Yeah. So that's my first tip. And, and I verified this. If you log in uh, to a wireless access point without authenticating and you fire up something like Wireshark and look at the traffic, there's a lot of stuff there you are not supposed to see. Now it could be that it's misconfigured or that's just the nature of it or a combination of both. Um, so you may want to, as I, as I mentioned before, maybe get a wired connection and bring along your own uh, portable access point and be sure to enable some sort of encryption. No, not WEP, please, because that's close to useless. WPA2 personal, I think, is just fine. Um, you know, don't use a stupid password. Maybe hide your uh, access point if you don't want other people getting to it. Though, if you'd like to make friends and maybe share so you don't all pay, you know, some outrageous daily fee for uh, Internet access, then... Uh, Maybe you do want to share, but be aware that your your traffic, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, people may be able to see your traffic. Um, if you're offered a wireless login via WPA, via a hotel network, which uh, I'm not aware of a lot of them that do that, Dave, and maybe it's changing just with a heightened awareness, one would hope, of security. Uh, I mean, we've seen this on, on the show floor and stuff. They'll typically have a username and password. 
which is good. In that case, then you can be uh, you know sure that your uh, your traffic between your computer and the wireless access point is secure. Um, I guess another thing to mention is that if you have a VPN that you want to connect to, that provides an additional layer, and a lot of people recommend that in addition to having something like WPA2. It can't hurt to have extra encryption. And we've talked about some different VPN uh, services. You can either provide your own or, um, you know, there, there are third-party uh, VPNs. Uh, I guess the only thing with that is, you know, do you trust them or not? Um, and we've had a lot of talk about trust and uh, <laughs> certificates and all of that. Uh, and do not connect to something that's named free public Wi-Fi. Most of you should know better than that, but just just don't. <laughs> um, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I'll throw one one sort of left turn in there. When you connect to a wired connection and bring your own hotspot, either, you know, a uh, your own router or whatever it is, there's an added benefit in addition to getting a wired connection that you then control the wireless from. You can connect your iPhone or iPod touch to that connection. And essentially you're sharing a shared connection that can sort of wreak havoc. If you're trying to do things like iChat, uh, especially AV, you know, across Skype tends to be able to navigate that stuff. No problem. But, but iChat's a little pickier. Um, but you know, a lot of hotels will charge, uh, for each computer that you're connecting. And many of them will see your iPhone as its own computer, but, uh, but, you know, as long as you don't have your router in bridge mode, well, now you've bridged that connection out or now you've shared that connection and you're taking one connection from the uh, from the hotel and sharing that amongst. Oh, all your yeah. Devices. You definitely want to enable that. Yes. Right. OK, I agree with you because a lot of times they may either not work, assuming that you're doing something weird or maybe charge you double or triple because they see multiple computers. Right. Because uh, sometimes I actually I've done that in the past where I think I hook up the wired machine. And then I realized, oh, I should have taken out my wireless access point. And they had two charges on my bill for access. And I'm like, well, you got to fix this. So I'm like, well, there's two charges. I'm like, well, yeah, I can see that. But I only have one computer and I'm only one person. How could I possibly be using it twice? That and they're like, doesn't, oh, you're right. That well, they, won't they took it off. fly anymore. Um, really? Yeah. So you be better turn on nap mode because nap mode would, would eliminate that problem because they, they, the, the additional MAC address of whatever other device they saw would not be seen yeah i remember i stayed somewhere recently where it was made did very more? it was made very clear that you were paying whatever it was 9.99 a day for each computer and the and the, the the you know the thing even said if you have two laptops you will pay twice so well it, unless you again have a device uh, right but but yeah not. yeah exactly but they just wanted to make that clear so that when you saw your bill and you're like two charges this is crazy you know my internet for the room uh not for the room for each computer is yeah how they they specified. well the hotel i was with at the point didn't have such draconian uh regulations right so. right. right pete okay. did you have something I, to add there I do, well i have a question um it because I remember the first time I was setting up my airport express in a hotel room, I, I got the warning and my sometimers disease is acting up. I can't remember what the warning was, but it's, it was essentially saying you you're using dual DHCP or dual NAT. Is that what it was? Yeah. And, and it says that, but that's what you want. You yes. want to accept that warning so that you let it give DHCP addresses um, to your well, items. You know, I think there's one thing. Okay. So the address you get from the hotel may be, a NAT assigned address. It may not be a real IP address. Right. 
I think there's a problem if both your airport and their address are using the same subnet. And I think we've seen this before, Dave. So if they're no, doing no, anything on 10.0... There, there shouldn't be, because well, neither, I've, neither I've, is routable. If the if the hardware is built to spec, neither is... If you're both in, in let's say, 192.168.1, right? If you're both in that same subnet, it should still work, because all routers know that those addresses are not routable. I, I understand, but I, I don't know. I, I seem to recall a situation where... Both their network and my network were both tossing out addresses in the same 10.0.1. whatever range, and it just wasn't working out. When huh. I switched it over to a different, which the two others I think are 192 and 171. I forget. Yep. There, there's. Yep. Um, then it got better. So, so I'm huh. mentioning that as a potential, if may, and maybe something on their network was was misconfigured. But I'm sure. saying there's a potential. You know, if if you're having problems getting a NAT assigned address from your device, you you should be able. I I know it's on one of the screens. I don't have it right in front of me. You can specify which subnet uh, it should be assigning the NAT addresses. That's right. Just want to mention it. Um, Yeah, it sounds like you you haven't run into this. I I have. So yeah, but but Pete's point is well taken. You want to let it do the double DHCP in order to to do this, and that's exactly what we're talking about. And you only have to set it up once. The the express remembered it. The next time I was in a hotel, right. I went to do it. So. Right. All right. Uh, it's time to get on to some, well, actually some follow-up from last week's show. We we talked about multiple monitors, John, and we gave some solutions. We had quite a few people write in, and we have an audio comment from Brent, but I think I'm actually just going to go straight to the, well, I guess, you know what, we can play both. Let's let's play the audio comment, and then we'll follow mm-hmm. up with, with Jeff's uh, Jeff's email, which which really kind of adds some some crystallization to this. Hey, John and Dave, this is Brent from Southern Mississippi. I was listening to the latest podcast, and you know, we're talking about hooking up uh, external monitors, dual or triple external monitors to, say, a MacBook Pro. I happen to have a MacBook Pro, and I've done a little research on this. I came across a company called Matrox, and they have a couple of products, uh, a dual head and a triple head to go. Uh, this allows a user to connect uh, two monitors or three monitors to, say, a MacBook Pro using either VGA or DVI connections. This is just another addition to some of the products that y'all had already mentioned that uses the USB bus. But uh, I, I'd encourage the listeners to check it out. Look it up. Matrox, uh, dual head or triple head to go. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Brent. And uh, I'll say thanks in advance to Brent for, because I believe this is the same Brent, that is converting this uh, week's show into AAC for us. So uh, assuming assuming it comes out in AAC, we can all say a big thanks to Brent. Jeff writes in uh, about the same thing. At the time, I looked at the display link, but from what I had read, the Mac drivers were quite buggy. Uh, and the display link was the thing that you and I had talked about last week, John, the thing you had found that uh, the USB device that allows uh, monitors to be connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, read that the Mac drivers were quite buggy with people experiencing problems. They did update their drivers earlier this month, but they still say OpenGL, Quartz Extreme, Quartz Composer, and other framework based on OpenGL will not be fully supported. From what I have read earlier, they wanted Apple to help them get the drivers to be better, but were pretty much ignored. Of course, any solution that relies on USB 2.0 is going to be less than optimal because of bandwidth. A better solution is the same thing Brent recommended. The Matrox dual head to go or triple head to go, which can add two or three monitors. 
He says uh, the dual head version can give you two 19 by 20 by 1200 monitors. So in his uh, experience, this is a much better solution. Now, I, I have a, a question about this, and I, I, I throw it out there to uh, to Jeff and Brent and, and any of the other listeners that wrote in or that know about this. The MacBook Pro can do external display resolutions up to 2560 by 1600 pixels. Now, when you plug in one of these, one of these Matrox devices plugs into the single DVI port on your, on your laptop, and then it breaks it out into two monitors from there. But your computer is only going to see it as one monitor, or perhaps we'll see it as two if you've got some special driver software that, that allows it to see what's happening. But either way, that DVI port can only support 2560 by 1600 pixels. So I'm not sure how, uh, how you're getting two screens of 1920 by 1200 out of that. And I, I, I'd be curious to hear if anybody has actually, actually done that. Maybe Jeff has, um, Ben, and I'd love to hear back from Jeff. Do you have any thoughts on, on that there, John? Hmm. Well, I wonder if the device itself is somehow, <sighs> yeah. it can't, right? I'm speculating that, I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, I see it's connected to the DVI port and the USB port, so I don't know if it's um, somehow extending or has its own video memory that it's kind of somehow buffering between. I mean, it's possible. I don't. I don't know the yeah. specs for a DVI port, so maybe it's yeah. The 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 box, you know, duplicates the or you know creates an additional channel or circuit or whatever. It's yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm probably not being too clear, but but looking at the, the the diagram here, that's about the only thing I could imagine that they're doing. Because yeah, it's well. Also, I noticed they say up to 1920 by 1200. Right. Though it would seem here, looking at the picture, that yes, there are two 19 by 12 screens. Um, yeah, interesting. So interesting. yeah, I, I I have not read in detail about this, so I'll have to look. Well, they have a uh, tech specs and all that. Well, uh, or uh, I don't know if they'll be at the show. I don't, I don't think they're going to be at the show. So. Yeah, I don't know if they are. I could I could check my oh. iMacworld app on the uh, on the iPhone. Oh here, yeah, yeah. You know, if we, nice, if we vamp long wasn't a enough, new version coming out? I I heard that. And you just release a new ver- or it's it's uh, being approved. It was it's right sent to the App Store for approval. So presumably by about February first, we ought to uh, we ought to see that uh, come right out. Don't you think? That seems to be about how long it takes. So yeah. Oh, and that's right. I I just got an iPod Touch, so I'll be able to load up all those cool apps. Yeah, Matrox. No. Not on the list, at least not on the current uh, list. So I, yeah. I clicked the button that's supposed to go and update the data, and it's still not there. So there you go. And I'm looking at the list on, uh, nope, on the website. Don't see them. Oh, right. well, maybe next year. As a follow-up to our talk last week on uh, certificates, and especially the extended validation uh, certificates, we got a couple of emails from uh, from Scott, our our resident uh, security or not resident alpha but, geek. Or, yeah, he really. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is the kind of stuff he does uh, for a living. So Scott's actually called in with a voicemail and then sent in about a 10 minute audio comment. I'm not going to play the whole audio comment. In fact, I think his voicemail, at least the first you know minute or two of it here, really sort of encapsulates what it was he was trying to say. He goes into some great detail. And Scott, man, we got to get you on the podcast to talk about this stuff, because playing a 10 minute audio comment, we can't really do. But doing an interactive chat, you know, where we're, we're talking about it. That would be great. So so we got to break this uh, 
pattern of not doing <laughs> interviews, John. And I, I know we've done some and here and there, but we got to do more. And uh, so maybe that'll that's our uh, Mac Geek Kev. Can we make that our Mac Geek Kev New Year's resolution for 2009? Yes. Or at least we'll make it that we'll make that resolution in 2009 for 2010. Right. Uh, but anyway, let, let me, let's let's play a little bit of this, John, and, and, and share with him some of what Scott said. And then and then we'll sort of when it gets to the point where where he's sort of crystallized, it will we'll stop his comment and talk about it a little bit. Hi, John and Dave. This is Scott in D.C. First of all, happy holidays. And let me see if I could help you from something from number 182 regarding certificates. With all due respect to Sinclair, who proposed the question, and to Steve Gibson of GRC, um, I have actually worked with PKIs and set up PKIs and run PKIs and so on and so forth. Let me explain. It is a ma- the, the whole concept of a PKI is a matter of trust. Once a certificate is issued by a certification authority, it is up to the user to decide what trust means. The problem with this and the problem with the way it was set up is that everybody had its concept of trust. So when, the, when SSL came out and everybody jumped on the SSL bandwagon and people were issuing SSL certificates, there was a multitude difference in trust. In fact, while you were using VeriSign as an example, VeriSign had something called a Class 3 certificate. And a Class 3 certificate can be bought with nothing more than a credit card and it's issued to the person who owns the credit card. Now, of course, you could have a stolen credit card and have the, the certificate issued in the name of the stolen credit card name, but that's another story. So there was no way of knowing the level of validation for the certificates. Now, like John said, you can go back and go through the keychain and manually set, well, I'm going to trust... I'm not going to trust a class three certificate. Well, the problem was is maybe 70 to 80% of the people on the web were using class three certificates because it was easy rather than going through the identification and proofing process. That's the whole point of the extended, extended verification certificate. It creates a standard for the verification process. Along with the extended verification process, there's some additional information that is being put into the certificate. So the certificate headers are a little bit bigger because there are optional fields that that are being used under the EV standard. Okay, and I, I'm going to stop Scott there. there we, we could let it go, and there's great information coming until his voicemail actually gets cut off. I think his cell phone got cut off. But I think what he just said there, John, is the key takeaway here that – EV creates a standard for extended verification. So everybody's doing it the same way. And you know that if you get one of these certs, it's done, it's done to the same level of verification, no matter who it is that issued it. And, and so it really tries to kind of bring this together. Would you, I'm sure you have something to add. I know you have something to add. Uh, I agree. And I, I had not realized. Um, uh, so, yeah, there are different, uh, I guess what he's saying, there are different classes of certificates and you cannot be totally sure that their methods of verification are comprehensive. EV resets the bar. So right. if you in Safari, the text turns green in IE on the on Windows, you see a green bar at the top. 
with other products, you'll see something indicating this is different from other SSL sites. So I, I agree with him, though. I don't think this says that you cannot trust any non-EV site, but you should be more careful, which, of course, leads to the question, how do you know any better? Right. And you really don't. But uh, unfortunately, not everybody is on the EV bandwagon. I think he mentioned a few people, eBay, I think, perhaps, PayPal. Yep. And some other people, and of course, VeriSign have latched onto this, but there's going to be a transition period. So it's it's kind of, a, I guess, an uneasy time and people should, uh, you know, we'll find something talking about EV. It's going to take a while for, for the world to all switch over to EV and then you have a new level of trust. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And I don't know that the whole world ever will. I mean, I, it, let's take... Uh, us, for example, the, the thing that I was talking about, the, the SSL cert that we use internally here, you know, I paid uh, 50 bucks for two years worth at GoDaddy, and I have no reason to pay $500 a year for an EV certificate for the purposes that we're using. Now, I need this to be trusted by the browsers automatically. Uh, so I can't just create my own certificate internally. I have to use well, one that goes through a certificate authority. Well, you could, but then you'd have to populate all the machines that you want to talk to you right. with that cert. And that's an unwieldy, not impossible, but a for, pain in the neck. For, this, you per, tell everybody, for this purpose, it's not possible because of the way we're using the certificate. It, it simply is not an option. So I have to use one, but I'm going to do it the cheapest way I can because the whole world's not using this this server, it, you know, the people that I hand this server address to for mm -hmm. the purposes that are going to use it, they're going to trust me. I just want their data encrypted, right? I don't, I don't, the data that they're passing back and forth, I want it to be encrypted. So I have to use an SSL cert. And again, I have to use one that's issued by an authority that's built into, you know, all the common browsers and Safari and all that stuff. And, and so I went to GoDaddy, but it's what one, a fit one five percent of the price right that i would pay by going with an ev cert it's, it's not worth it mm. you know, i don't need the green bar to show up and say backbeat media there it's not important yeah, Unt the until until the browsers uh, stop supporting the old certificates and then of course it becomes imperative at which point i'll pay my 500 right. bucks now another facet to that is, is is that the latest safari has a tab or has a feature now in the security tab titled warn when visiting a fraudulent website. And I believe that's actually tying back to a Google database right. of likely either phishing or just, you know, spyware laden sites. And if you try to go to them and you, you, this may have happened to you, if it has, then it's doing its job. Hopefully it'll say, you know, this site is suspect. Are you really sure you want to go here? And it'll let you, if you say yes, and hopefully the user will not fall into the trap of clicking yes on anything that they see, which is <laughs> how a lot of things work in reality. You see an error message that says, do you want to do this? And you're like, yeah, okay. Right. It could say the world will end if you click okay. And most, I've seen studies done on this. People usually ignore the warnings. They That's just right. want to get to their, you know, shopping or whatever they're trying to get to. Right. They want to hand out their credit card to whoever it is that wants it. That's an interesting addition that they made in the latest uh, latest Safari. So it's kind of neat to see these little changes. So now they got, you know, that feature and they have, you know, EV certification in, in that you'll see green text next to a site if it's using EV cert. So uh, Safari's kind of keeping up with, uh, with the rest of the pack, I think. Yep. Our second sponsor for this show, John, is Audible. If you visit audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab, you'll be brought to a page where you can sign up for Audible, get a two-week free trial, and download a free audiobook. Now, for those of you who don't know, 
Audible is a huge repository of audiobooks. It's a commercial repository. You can buy the books there. They're all great quality. You can preview them before you you buy. Uh, it links with iTunes, so it'll sync to your iPod, your iPhone. You can burn it to CD. You can uh, basically any anywhere that you could play this podcast. Basically, you could play your uh, your Audible content. Uh, and so these are audiobooks. You can hear what they sound like. Make sure you like the authors, uh, or not the not necessarily the author, but the the narrator's voice. And uh, and off you go. One book, you know, I did that interview with Waz recently, John. The I Waz book is the book that he uh, he wrote or co-wrote, I guess. And uh, it's read by a professional, a professional voice actor out there. And uh, it, it, you know, a great little book about how uh, how Waz sort of started off in uh, in this crazy world and how he started off this crazy world. Uh, so that's I was available at Audible. You could get that for free. Go sign up right now. You could have it with you on your iPod or iPhone on the airplane as you're coasting over the country off to San Francisco for next week's Mac World Expo. So huh. audiblepodcast.com slash Mac Geek Gab. Uh, is, uh, is he going to be there, you think? You think he'll pop in? Yeah, well, he told us. We asked him if he would be there, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. He said, I, I like to go to the keynote if I get VIP treatment, he said, you know, cause it's great. He says, it's like, it's like cutting in line, but it's prearranged. So he says, it's great. I, I don't have to wait in line. I just show up and they, they, you know, walk me to my seat and he says, I, I would I like hope that. him of all people would get a good seat. <laughs> I'm guessing it's not a guarantee or at least it wasn't uh, when we were talking to him a couple of weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. So I guess, and we, we didn't talk to him about this, but from some of the research I did, I guess he's technically still, an employee of Apple in so much as a fellow or something. Right. Right. Exactly. He's a fellow technical. Yeah. 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 So he, he gets a paycheck and, and health insurance probably, you know, but, but he, to, to my knowledge, he has not shown up uh, for work or had a job at Apple since 1987, I think. And, and I don't think he has any intention of, Mm. of going back there. You know, I think it's, it's okay. Sort of, well, yeah. it'd be nice to see him. Well, yeah, we saw my, him last year. Yeah, my yeah. guess is he'll show up on his Segway and uh, and then you know kind of <laughs> blow past the line and go in and then be walked to his seat just like he always is. <laughs> so, and then and then he says he uh, as soon as the keynote's over he's got to get out of there otherwise the press hunts him down and and he says something the wrong thing and uh, and then you know the stock price sort of flutters because jo- because Waz said something that he shouldn't have and uh, and then Jobs calls him and, and yells at him so okay well we'll get the uh, TMO mobile to uh, right. take care of this problem yeah yeah that's right. Uh, so that's Audible, audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab. You can go get the IWAS book and hear all about uh, what Steve Wozniak did uh, when he was starting things off. All right. Uh, we have time for a couple of uh, just regular question questions. Do we, John? Do you want to do? I, I think I think we, we got to skip down maybe to, to the, the desktop one there, because that's probably a quicker uh, answer than than digging too deep into the one of the first one or two. Or what, what do you think? Just stop. Who? Who? James, where is he? I don't see him. Uh, hold on. Mm-mm-mm. Get your agenda out. You go to misc questions, right? Halfway down the uh, thing there. We just finished the oh, audible sponsorship there. Well, that's where we are. We finished. We're, 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 we're knocking these things out, man. Now, hold on this, Chris. James, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. J- James. Oh, I feel bad about skip. Well, 
We'll get back to it. We later. can get back to it. Do you want to do, you want to do Chris and James? Is that the, uh, the trick? Or maybe we'll do James and Kelly. We'll do James and Kelly. That's what we'll do. But Chris and... Uh, Chris. And Chris could be quick, quick enough, right? Uh, Chris, James, and Kelly. How about that? Okay. Can we do a quick... Okay. We'll see, let's see what happens. We'll start with Chris. Chris writes... I was listening to one of your most recent podcasts where you had the dreaded audio burbles, a problem that you suspected was due to a buffer issue induced by Time Machine. I myself just purchased my first Intel based MacBook Pro and was wondering about potential performance problems with Time Machine enabled. One potential solution I thought of was setting up the machine with two user accounts. One would be my everyday account in which I do all my email surfing and pre-production work like writing and photo editing. This account would have Time Machine enabled and would be backed up regularly. Second account would, in theory, be more of a live production account that will be used for presenting keynote or PowerPoint slideshows, recording audio or triggering lighting cues. This second account would not have Time Machine enabled and might have other things like Bluetooth airport and even virus scanning disabled to maximize performance and minimize processor overhead during showtime. Would this strategy work? Is Time Machine account centric to allow this sort of Hannah Montana esque alter ego scheme? Uh (laughs) Clearly, Chris has a daughter about the age of mine. Uh, But uh, yeah, because I I know that you've checked out the shows and yeah, I'll I'll give you a pass on that because you have a daughter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I was at those shows, it'd just be creepy. So, yes, that's Um. right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, to answer I'm going to answer the first part of this. And the first part, John, is time machine. It's not just time machine. that was the problem here. The the time machine, the, the issue is right now we're recording the show, which means we're recording to the hard disk inside the iMac. Anything. And so as we're talking, the audio is just constantly being dumped out to the hard disk in full, uncompressed AIFF format. So. Not an insignificant amount of drive activity. It's not huge. It's not totally taxing the drive, but it's something. I want to try to take a. uh, I want to take a step back. Can I? Can I try just just for a bit here? I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. Go go go. (laughs) Go, go. I'll take my own medicine. uh, uh, No, but 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 I think it'll it'll make this a bit clearer. So let us look at a computer system in general. Okay, you have memory, processor, hard drive. And maybe some other things like sound and all that. And the thing is, they all talk to each other for the most part through something we'll call a bus. Okay? And you've seen references to this in the technical documentation for the computer. A bus is this fast, or you know, however many megahertz and all that. The, the thing is, is that you have this subtle combination of both the capability of the bus, which can only move so much data in a certain amount of time, and maybe some support chips, like an audio chip or a hard drive chip or something connected to that bus, and then the software that may influence how that chip behaves. And the thing is, when they all they all have to interact, and I think I'll try to bounce it back to you, but I think what, what you're hinting at is that there's this dance between all of them, or maybe you weren't hinting at that. I just, I just kind of presented that bigger picture, that they're all trying to get along with each other, and sometimes it may not work out. So I, hopefully that was somewhat helpful. I think so. Yeah, I, that, that's exactly where I was going with this. Right. So as as part of the recording process, we're just constantly dumping audio out. Now, presumably what's happening, and I don't know this for certain, but I'm pretty sure, is that the audio sort of fills up a disk buffer and then uh, it writes out a chunk all at once and then it fills up that buffer and writes out the chunk. So it's not just constantly trickling data out. It's it's sort of dropping data out. Right. Right. Droplets of water. Think of it that way. Well, if suddenly 
an operation happens that needs to either read a bunch of data from the disk or write a bunch of data to the disk, that could get in the way here. And, and like you were saying, John, earlier, you know, disk activity sort of trumps all. So if the buffer gets full, then and it can't write out when it thinks it needs to write, then suddenly everything backfills and you folks hear that lovely stuttering sound that you've come to uh, or, know and love. Or, or we said that in the pre-show, and I, I guess uh, having done, it's been a while, but having done some, you know, digital design and just, you know, uh, you know, system architecture, trying to understand things. If I was an operating system or a computer and I had to s- decide between successfully reading data from or writing data to a disk and maybe dumping some audio that is not life threatening to me a lot of times i would say disk access is pretty darn important you want to do that accurately whereas hey so what i'm saying is if i had to make a decision between the two again i would rather not provide full sound performance in order to provide necessary and maybe critical to the operation of the computer like swap files and stuff like that disk services so i think a lot of times and and I think we've all noticed this. When your disk is being accessed, especially if you use our friend menu meters, and you see both the, the read and the write light on, that's why your computer is a pig. And it's, it's, it's a dog, whichever animal you choose. <laughs> a snail, a turtle. <laughs> that's why it's so unresponsive, because it's, it's whopping on the hard drive, and I think that usually has the highest priority of any device in the system. Certainly not the audio circuits, or at least not if, unless you have a dedicated audio card, in which case maybe that has enough juice to, you know, and buffers things like you were referring to, Dave, if you have a dedicated audio card, and I don't know if you've played with those or you just tend to use the built-in stuff. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are third-party audio cards, which maybe if you want massive sound buffers can uh, get around this problem. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be fair, I, I think this, the buffers in, uh, and the Mac can actually be made quite big. The, the, tr- the trick is I don't want them big because what I'm doing right now is monitoring the signal post uh, effects and post in any processing. And in order to do that live, I need the buffers to be relatively short. Otherwise, I'm hearing myself on a delay that's simply too much. I'm currently hearing myself on a delay. It's, it's a split second, but it does take a bit to get used to. Doing it on a half a second delay makes it nearly impossible. Um, so uh, if you've ever tried to listen to yourself on delay, like talking to a microphone and, and hear yourself on delay in headphones, it, it, it'll totally screw you up. In fact, I, I remember hearing that insurance companies will take if someone comes to them and says, OK, yeah, I got hurt and, uh, you know, there was a loud noise. And I'm now deaf in my right ear. They'll say, "Okay." they'll sit you down. They put a pair of headphones on you, put a microphone in front of you and say, "Okay, start reading from this page. And you start reading and about at about the second and a half mark into your right ear. They'll pump your audio from a second and a half ago. And they just sit and watch. And if you stop dead in your tracks, they know it's because you heard yourself and your brain sort of mm-hmm. fritzed out and didn't know what to do. If, of course, you're deaf in your right ear, you'll keep going. Or if you've trained yourself to, uh, to, to, to get used to this, then you'll just learn to ignore it and move on. But it is a very conscious effort, uh, especially initially, to get used to hearing that delay. So because of that. Long story short, we keep the delays short. That keeps the buffers short. It offers us very little wiggle room when Time Machine kicks in and starts doing all sorts of stuff. Add to that, now Time Machine's reading data from the drive. As soon as I go play an audio comment, now that's also reading data from the drive. And then 
trying to play, uh, you know, trying to also record to the drive. It's too much at once and, and something has to go. And so that's that's what happens. All right. So it's not Time Machine's fault, Chris, but it is disk activity. No, I don't think Time Machine can be disabled per user. It is on per machine, but it's fairly easy to turn off. You just go in and switch the slider off when you're going to do some critical stuff like I should have done tonight, but I have not. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, so I don't think you can Hannah Montana your machine quite that degree. And and there you go. I don't think there's an answer there, but at least now maybe understand what's going on. I'm actually surprised because, you know, when I was up visiting you, Dave, uh, we went to the uh, you know local uh, toy store. Yeah. I'm surprised there's not a Hannah Montana Mac because there seems to be a Hannah Montana everything else. That's interesting. Man. Yeah. On the one hand, it's scary. On the other hand, I'm a Disney stockholder. And uh, no. No, the more, Mac world, the more Hannah Montana stuff they can push, hey, better for me. Isn't uh, that going to be in the think. keynote at Macworld? You guys let the cat out of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Phil told us to keep it secret, Joe. <laughs> Oh, that's just no that makes me cry all right uh, we're gonna have to split the difference on this one we've got time for james kelly will wait till uh till the next show so james okay. writes i've come across an interesting situation i was cleaning some things up on my mac and i noticed that my desktop folder was over 15 gigabytes in size for the life of me i cannot find where the size is at I have attached a screen capture of the desktop folder showing a 15.56 gigabyte in size with only five items on the desktop that add up to about 30 megabytes. Do you think it is a 15? Do you think the 15 gigabyte is an accurate measurement or any? And and if so, any suggestions on how to find the file or files that may be taking up that space? And sure enough, his screenshot, presuming it's not uh, doctored in in, in any Mm -hmm. capacity that would change the facts shows a 15.56 gigabyte desktop folder and the, and there's five files in it yet. So there's something going on here. I did not add up. Uh, I I would say it's either not so bad news or really bad news. Mm Hmm. It might be really good Um, news, right? I mean, he, he might have, you know, 15 gigs that he's going to get back. Can, can I start with worst case? Yeah. Okay, really bad news is the part of your disk that keeps track of how big things are is totally hosed. In which case, I would recommend, first off, try to make a backup, which you should always be doing with Time Machine and things like that, or whatever means you want to use, Super Duper, Carbon Copy Cloner or something. This could be an indication that something's going wrong. Or uh, uh, another thing that actually I just got an update for, which should warn against these things, um, Smart Reporter. If your drive supports Smart, which is a protocol where the computer asks the hard drive, how you doing? And it says either everything's great or I'm starting to die, um, to sum it up. But I would say it could be a sign of damage. So back up anything you can, which you should always be doing anyways. Maybe start off with booting from a system disk and running um, uh, disk utility and do a repair because it could be one of these... Uh, I don't know if it's a B tree or there's some file that keeps track of how big files are. It could be host. Disk utility may be able to set things right uh, along with a lot of other utilities. Like I think Dave, you like um, disk warrior, I think is your favorite. I tend to like drive genius for a lot of things. So that's the worst case in that the data on the hard drive is corrupted and it's reporting what it thinks is accurate, but it certainly is not. Now, I'll let you go with the uh, <laughs> not tragic case, Dave. Yeah, I, I, I would say that uh, assuming tragedy hasn't stuck, that yes, it is accurate. And what it's showing you is accurate, right? It's showing you that the desktop folder contains, you know, 15 and a half gigabytes of files. And then it's showing you the files 
in the desktop folder, the five files that are there, uh, and they add up to about 35 megs or 30 megs or whatever it is. So obviously there's a disconnect here. How can they both be right? Well, we have to bear in mind that files can be marked invisible. And if a file is marked invisible, how would I know if it's invisible? I can't see it. That's right. Well, if it's marked invisible, then it should not show up on the desktop, but certainly should be included in the count of the size of a folder. How are you going to go find this? Well, my default is to go to the command line and I would open up terminal and I would type uh, when you open terminal, it brings you to your home folder. So you have sort of a shortcut here. You can type CD space desktop with a capital D that will bring and then press enter. That will bring you to your desktop folder. If at that point, then you do LS space dash L H a or L H a T as I like to do, you'll see all the files in your desktop folder, including the hidden ones. It'll show you the size of them, and that size will be in human-readable format. Everything will be organized in date order. So LS space dash L-H-A-T, L-HAT. And, uh, and you uh-huh. can look there and see. And, and you know, maybe um, is there a way to do it by size? I think there – no, there, there, there probably isn't. S? No, it's not S. Mm. I, I wish it was. That's my guess. Yeah. Um, but if you're in the terminal, now one thing I think you mentioned, Dave, I, I think you said CDDE enter. I, I think you meant tab, right? CD. To get to the desktop folder, you could say CD begin with a folder that is within that folder. And if you type a couple of characters and hit tab, yeah, I, I didn't want to make an assu- I didn't want to make an assumption that okay. uh, that a folder that the that they only have the default folders in there. So I just said type CD mm-hmm. space okay. desktop with a capital D. Um, Got it. And type the whole word out. Uh, let me look here and see. I'm looking at the, uh, you know, I, I use the things that I use so often. And well, man, LS and there's about a hundred different. Uh... And that and that's what I was looking at. I was was looking at the the man file for the LS. Yeah, so it dash is, S. Sort files da- by size. Dash, dash capital S. Capital S. Right. So uh, LS was... space dash L H A all lowercase and then capital S will sort by size. And then if you just look at the top of the list, you can see what's the biggest file out here. The other thing you want to look for are any directories out there. So that's going to be. Each line is going to start with 10 characters, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, potentially 11 characters, um, showing you the permissions on the file. If the first one is a dash, the first character of the line that shows you the file is a dash, mm-hmm. it is a file. If it's a D, it's a directory. And in order to get the size of the files in there, the easiest way is to do a CD space and then the name of that directory. And that'll bring you one uh-huh. level deeper. And then you do this LS space dash LHA capital S again, and you're there. So that that's that's the way I would do it. Um, I think a program like Omni Disk Sweeper will also find hidden files. So that might be an easier way to do this. And just Onyx it- or some other things. I think they have it buried within all the subtle settings. I think a lot of them have show invisible files as a, as an option where I think it shows them yeah. kind of grayed out. So yeah. You can kind of tell that they're invisible. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You could turn them on with, with Onyx and see them in the fire finder. That's absolutely right. It cost it'll cause a relaunch of the finder. But yeah, so Onyx would do that. You could skip the terminal entirely. Omni Disk Sweeper is a great way of finding 
not just these files here, but any files on your drive that are taking up a lot of space. And uh, right. and if you pay for it, then you have the option of actually deleting them. So, uh, and that I think brings us to the point where I go out and find the band, which uh, where'd they go? Well, it was warm yesterday, and uh, but you know, under a huff. <laughs> what's that? They left in a huff. Hey, how would they get in touch with you? Oh, thanks, Pete. Wow. See, this is this is part of the reason that we keep Pete here, because he makes it so that we don't <laughs> forget these things. Oh, there are so many ways to reach us, Dave, though, and I, I think the, the, the first is probably email. It is. It is. Are oh, we supposed and- to now sing the, the old song? What was that? Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Right? No. What no, was that we're from? Not a, we're not a show. That's for... Uh, Yellow Pages, AT&T. Was that, it was AT&T, AT&T years and years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Email. Now they don't come out and touch you so much as... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just with the bill every month, John. Uh, yeah. And that's but email not a is, uh, Yeah, yeah. Email is... Uh, I remember it now. It's feedback at macgeekab.com. That's right. Excellent. And you can email or you could, you know, of course, attach an audio comment. But if you just want to submit an audio comment, Dave, how... How... Well, you could call us, pick up your phone, pick up your iPhone, pick up your landline. You can pick up whatever kind of phone you want and dial 206-666-GEEK, which is... We all know it's 4335. That's right. Uh, And and you can leave us a message there. John and I both get that. John and I both get everything emailed to feedback at MacGeekGap.com. If you email uh, either of us individually, John and I both don't get that. We don't want each other's email, except if it's coming from you. So please send to feedback at MacGeekGap.com. That way we'll both get it. Uh, Unless you're a stalker and you just want to approach one of us, then... Sure. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. I, I do get plenty of emails sent to me only that say, hey, John and Dave. And it's like, uh, okay, no problem. You know, I, I file in with the show stuff and mix it in when I'm going through the show. But John never sees that unless it's part of the show. So, mm-hmm. And I'm sure you get the same thing because I think you've brought stuff in and it's like you get those I emails. have and I copied you. Yeah, yeah. Where it's, it's usually something that I talked about mm. or focused on. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll send it to John. So, yeah, right. it does all of us a favor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can Skype to Mac Geek Gab, all lowercase at Skype. And of course, we love them iTunes comments. So send those along. Macworld Expo is January 5th through 9th. Please. Yow. Uh, yeah. It's a w- <laughs> that's, that's on Monday. <laughs> it's less than a week. Yeah, man. Oh, it is a week. Yeah. Well, no, by week. this time next week, we're going to be. Um, oh, what are we going to be doing? I don't know. We may be doing. Maybe doing a podcast. A pre. Show yeah. podcast, or I heard there was something. Is it the 11th Street Grill? Oh, there's the smile on my Mac part. Fourth. Well, no, Sean mentioned there was like an informal get together. Is it is it 11th Street something or Fourth? Street? I forget. Oh, I fourth Street Bar and Grill in the lobby that of the Marriott. One. There, yeah, yeah. Or, or there's some place where yeah. Well, if we or it's I'm sure it's on the event list. Yes, yes. But yeah, I'm there sure are all sorts of informal things, and and yeah, and, and again, like we said, don't don't wear yourself out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think we did that at a podcast expo, Dave. I think you and I got on the bus with uh, Dusty and uh, started pouring drinks with good mixers, and it, you yeah, know the hours it, just just melted away, it, and, and it then it's three a.m. Well. and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I got to do something tomorrow. <laughs> I have a meeting in four hours or something." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, moderation is usually good, and in the case of an event like this, where yeah, I think a lot of us get all tuckered out. Yeah. Absolutely. Pace yourself, and uh, you'll have a great time. There you go. All right. Uh, Cashfly Hosting is uh, the provider of all the bandwidth for Mac Geek Gab. 
The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and of course, a free book and two free weeks from audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And uh, I think the next time we're talking to you, it's coming from uh, from the left coast. Yes, sir. Oh, man. You know what we're doing? What are we doing? We're getting on a plane. Where, where are you going out? Logan or? Uh... Yeah. The, yeah. I'm, I'm scheduled to fly out of Logan on Friday. Yeah. I, I couldn't get a direct flight, though. I'm still trying to weasel that. Maybe somebody that works for American Airlines can help. Huh? I think I'm flying with them. When you were in when you were in the airport with the TSA, Dave. Yeah, don't get caught, man. Made up.